We are in week three of our series, Shape Up. We're looking at our spiritual formation and what it looks like to grow in our relationship with the Father and uh, through His Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, and how Jesus taught us several things in our life that can help us shape up. They can help us shape up spiritually. Uh, week one, we looked at the fact how Jesus taught us we can shape up through our prayers and through our prayer life. And when Jesus taught us how to pray, he just, he didn't teach us how to pray just to give us something to do, to give us something to check off of a checklist, right? He, he gave us a a method to pray, to show us how important prayer was in growing in our relationship with our heavenly father and to grow in that and to learn to love, to spend time with God and to pray. Last week, we looked at the fact that we, Jesus taught us that we can shape up when we understand the motives in why we serve, why we give, why the change that's taking place in our life, why we're expressing that change. The motives behind that are very important. And we can shape up when we realize that the motives don't need to be for the applause of man. That's not why we do. That's not why we express our change. That's not why we serve others. That's not why we give. It's not to toot our own horn. (laughs) We don't do it for the applause of man. We do it for the approval of God, right? We're going to look at another way that Jesus teaches us to shape up today. We started this whole service today by reading Psalm 145. And Psalm 145 is a beautiful expression of worship from David. David wrote a lot of the Psalms. He didn't write all of them, but he wrote a lot of them. And Psalm 145 is one of the Psalms he wrote. In fact, it's the last recorded Psalm that we have from him in the book of Psalms. Many scholars believe that these are the last written words of David. And if they're the last written words of David, man, what a powerful writing that he gives us. This Psalm 145 and this expression that that David lays out, he gives God's people an expression of God's worth. He, he lays out a reminder for the faithfulness and the, of, of God to every generation. And he expresses what our response should be to that greatness and that goodness. And that response should be praise. We see it all throughout. Remember, I told you, we're looking at what Jesus teaches us in regards to help us shape up. I want to tell you, I want to show you a, a, a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. This conversation happens after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They are back in a room somewhere. The disciples are gathered. They're actually with a couple of guys who had just been on a journey to uh, what uh, Luke tells us was to Emmaus. It was about seven miles away from Jerusalem. They were going back to Emmaus. And on their journey to Emmaus, they start having a conversation with a, uh, with a guy. They don't know who he is. They're talking. They're talking about the events of things that had just happened. And then they get to a place and they invite this guy to sit down and have dinner with them, to eat with them. So they sit down and this guy that they're with actually breaks the bread and hands it to him. And when that happens, Luke tells us that all of a sudden they realize that the person they're with, the person they've been walking with, the person they're eating with, that's Jesus. This is the resurrected Jesus. They did not recognize him in his resurrected form until he revealed himself to them. And then they realized this. And then all of a sudden the purpose for Jesus being there is it's not needed anymore. So he's gone. They go back to Jerusalem as quick as they can. They're there. They're having this conversation with the disciples. They're talking about, we saw him. We saw him. The disciples are wondering, where is his body? And then all of a sudden Jesus shows up in that location. And he has this conversation with him. Look at what he tells him. 
He says, when I was with you before, I told you that, look at everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So what Jesus was pointing out to them was he was like, look, everything throughout the history of Israel, through the law, the words of the prophet, what you read from the psalmist who wrote all those psalms that you sing as psalms of worship. All of that pointing to me. And he goes through with them before he leaves this earth and points out how everything in their scripture. So what that tells us when you open this word that we call the Bible, this word of God, and you're reading that Old Testament, everything you're reading in that, it's pointing up to Jesus. He said that. So even these psalms that we read, they're reminders of Christ. It's safe to believe that Jesus, when he spent time with the Father, he meditated on the Psalms. These Psalms were in his heart and in his life. In fact, there's several times he quoted the Psalms. One of those times is when he was talking about his coming suffering and his glorification. Psalm 118, 22 is what he quotes. He says, the stone that the builders rejected, that's become the cornerstone. So what Jesus is saying, that Psalm that was written when he wrote that, he was actually writing it about me. When he was on the cross, Jesus quoted Psalm from Psalm 22 and he throws out this expression. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a song that was from a song. So what Jesus is pointing out is he's saying that, yes, the person that wrote that Psalm, they felt forsaken. But listen, when I'm, I'm on this cross, I am truly forsaken because I'm taking all of the sin of every mankind onto me. And God is turning his back because of the sin that's on me. Not because he's turning his back on me, but the sin that I'm taking for all of mankind. And so he's saying where you feel forsaken, I can relate to that because I truly was forsaken because of the sin I took for you. He's quoting these Psalms and he's saying, it's all about me all through the new Testament. The Psalms are used to point to the excellencies of Christ, leading us to worship with more and more wonder of who God is. The Psalms is a book of prayer. It's a book of worship. And all throughout that book of Psalms, we are seeing people express their heart. They're expressing their pain. There's honesty about their pain, but there's also a humble intellect to realize that God has bigger purposes than what I can understand. And so in their expressions, they worship God. But when we get to Psalm 145, Psalm 145 marks this turning point where all of these other Psalms have been filled with honest expression. Psalm 145 through the next six Psalms are only solely expressions of praise and worship. Every single Psalm from here on out. It's just about the goodness of who God is. And scholars tell us that Psalm 145 played a very special role in uh, Jewish liturgy. They say that this Psalm, Psalm 145, was expressed twice in the mornings and once in the evenings at their services, at Jewish services, when they would get together. It was a very important Psalm. The Psalms were used as worship songs in Jesus' day. Worship was a very important aspect of every part of their spiritual formation in their life and in their walk with God. And worship is an important part of every aspect of our spiritual formation. Even in regards to prayer, you may discipline yourself to pray because you believe that God is useful. If I pray, God is useful. He'll answer my prayers. But when you worship God, 
He transforms your thinking to realize that God's not just useful. God is beautiful. So now I don't pray just because God is useful. I pray because God is beautiful. And I love spending time with the Father. When, when you worship, when you worship, it changes that whole mentality of why you serve and why you give. As you worship God, it transforms you to say, I'm not doing this for the applause of man. Everything about my life is not for the applause of man. It's for to give God glory because I want to worship God and bring him glory in my life. The question is not, do you worship? This is what we need to understand this morning. The question is not, do you worship? The question is what or who do you worship? Because every single person in this room, every person that ever watches this online, we all worship something or we all worship someone. Jesus pointed this out. When Jesus had gone into the temple, coming to Jerusalem to, to do his ministry, he's in the temple, he's doing different things. And the children begin to praise and worship Jesus for the miracles that he's been doing. We see it in Matthew chapter 21. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they get upset that these children are worshiping and praising Jesus. They think this is blasphemous. And they tell him, you need to tell these kids to stop praising you. And Jesus looks at them and he says, don't you know the scriptures? They did. And Jesus knew they did. And he knew they would know this one that came from Psalms. Psalm 8 verse 2. And he quoted it to him and he said, you know that the psalmist said you have taught the children and the infants to give you praise. In other words, Jesus is saying God has put on the inside of every created person, every person. He has put on the inside of them an instinct to worship and to praise. And it's meant for him. Now, that's the Greek translation of it. That's why when we read it in the New Testament, I know if you flip back to Psalms and you read it in the Psalms, you read the Hebrew and that says you have created them to tell of your strength. But understand when you telling of the strength and the power of something, you're praising that, right? So Jesus is saying within you has been put an instinct to worship. David knew this. That's why he wrote in Psalms 29 verse 2. That's why he told you, told you where to put your worship. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The worship should be directed to God. Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Romans, he told them, he said, look, in Romans chapter 1, he's telling them, you have every reason to know that you should worship God. Everything around you points to the fact you should worship God. But he basically tells them you have wasted your worship on other things. Look at what he tells in Romans chapter 1, verse starting verse 21. He tells them, he says, they, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up these foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Verse 22 Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols. Made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. The point being is that we all worship something. We all worship someone. We're either worshiping the creator or worshiping the created. But the thing is, only one of those will sustain and give us life. And that's the creator. That's why our worship needs to be directed to him. Worship is a catalyst for our transformation. I heard Pastor Robert Morris, he's a pastor of Gateway Church, I believe it's in Texas. He defined worship this way. I love this definition. He said, worship is an expression of love. 
Worship is an expression of your love. Think about this. What did Jesus say that all the law hinged on? He said the law hinges on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love. Worship is an expression of your love. And as a follower of Christ, it's specifically your love for your heavenly father. In a conversation with a Samaritan woman, Jesus is on one of his journeys one day and he walks through the town of Samaria. That's not what a Jew typically does, but he's doing it on purpose. And he sits down by a well because he's waiting on this lady that he knows is going to come. It's going to be a very powerful conversation he's about to have. So he has this conversation with her. She knows from the start of the conversation, he's a Jew. You see it in John chapter four and they have this conversation and then Jesus tells her that he knows that she's not married, that she had five husbands. The man she's living with now is not even her husband. Then all of a sudden she realizes he's a prophet, not just a Jew. And so she wants to debate with him about where worship should take place. And she says, why is it that you Jews say that worship needs to take place in the temple? We Samaritans believe it takes place over here. Why? And then Jesus says this to her, John four, verse 23, he says, The time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him in that way. So what Jesus is pointing out to her is that the focus is moving from a place to a person. It's not about how and where you worship. It's about who you worship. J.C. Ryle, he was a commentator, a theologian. He said, we're all naturally inclined to make religion a mere matter of outward form and ceremonies and to attach an excessive importance on our own particular manner of worshiping God. Think about it. Maybe you've been that way before. Well, I can only worship God if I'm doing this or I'm singing this, this way. He said, we must be aware of this spirit. And especially when we first begin to think seriously about our souls, because here's the key. He says, the heart, because this is what Jesus taught all the time. The heart is the principal thing in all our approaches to God. It's the heart. And Jesus is saying, God is longing for true worshipers, genuine worship, not counterfeit Think back to the words of Paul. So much of where we are expressing our love is counterfeit. So our worship in this life is disingenuous, Jesus says. Worship as a follower of Christ is an expression of our love towards the heavenly father. And here's what we know about love. Here's what we, you know this about love. I know this about love. Love can grow and love can diminish. You know that. You've probably experienced that. And here's what happened here. Not to be generalistic, but most more times than not, the reason it grows and the reason it diminishes are a couple of things, time and action. The more time you spend with genuine heartfelt time, the more the love grows. The more you do for the more the love grows. The less time you spend with, the more the love diminishes. 
the less you do for them and the more you do for yourself, that love diminishes. The same is true in our relationship with God. The more time we spend with, the more we do for, the more our love grows. The less time we spend with, the less we do for, our love's going to diminish. But worship is an expression of that love. Do we all express love the same? No. That's why Dr. Gary, can't remember his last name, wrote a book. Yeah, that one. (laughs) That there's five love languages. And it became powerful and effective. And the same is true. We don't all worship God in the same manner. The way we worship, different is fine. There just needs to be expression. There just needs to be some form of worship. And there's no doubt that you can express your worship through your prayers. There's no doubt that you can express your worship by serving. There's no doubt that you can express your worship by giving. In fact, from the time people started coming on this campus this morning, everything about this day has been worship. From the prayers that have been prayed leading up to this time, the prayers that have been prayed through the service, the various acts of service that's been taking place, the people serving you coffee, the people greeting you at the door, the giving that you do, the message right now, it's all worship. That's why we call it a worship service because it's all expressing the goodness of God. It's all pointing to the greatness of God, expressing our dependence is completely on him. He is our, we are dependent on him for every need, especially our salvation. The love that is shown in this place is an expression of worship to God because we love one another. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves. When we love each other, we love God. You realize that? Just real quick, I, I, I feel the need to say this. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. That love yourself is not conceit and arrogance. But Jesus wants you to realize you are worth something. You are worth his life. And you should love yourself. But you should love others. And put others ahead of yourself. And when you love others, you love God. And when you express hate towards others, you're not showing a lot of love to God. Because that's his creation. So we love. All of this is an aspect of worship towards God. But let's be honest. There is an expression or there is a portion of the worship service that is specifically called worship. Right? It's the time that we spend singing to God. Scripture has over 400 references to singing. There are 50 direct commands to sing. Many of those are in the Psalms. There is power in song and there's power in singing, right? Even the medical world understands this and know this. The medical world tells us that you release endorphins in your system that make you feel more energetic when you sing. That's why I can look out right now and I can tell who's been singing during the time of singing. Just kidding. Just joking. It's a, the, 
medical world tells you that it makes your, your breathing stronger, your lungs stronger. Cause as you sing, you're stretching your lungs. It, it can help prolong life, especially in those with dementia and Alzheimer's. Because the patients with dementia and Alzheimer's, even though they can't remember much of anything else, when you play a song from their childhood, they remember that song. It gives them energy. It helps prolong their life. They say that, that singing songs can lower your anxiety and your stress. So if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling stressful, put on some joyful music. I recommend worship and sing it. Don't do the emo stuff, all right? That's where you want to go. Don't sing the blues, all right? I mean, that's... That's not going to help. Believe what the prophet Zephaniah said about God. Zephaniah chapter three says, the Lord, your God is living among you as a mighty savior. He'll take delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful, what? Songs. If God is a singing God, should we not be a singing people? Who sing back to God his goodness. Here's what happens in your worship. When you sing to God, when you sing songs of worship to God, you are embedding the truth of God into your mind and in your heart and in your soul. Throughout all of Psalm 145, David is expressing the truth of who God is. And it all, David, all of Israel knew this and they knew the importance of this because it goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. When God had rescued the Hebrews from Egypt, They'd wandered in the desert. They're now getting ready to to go into the promised land. God tells Moses, he's telling in Moses' last days, Joshua's about to take control of leadership. God's telling Moses, he says, look, these people are going to turn their back on me in the way they live. But even as they do that, they need to know what I've done for them. And they need to remember what I've done for them. Because as they remember the truths of what I've done for them, they'll come back to me. Look at what God tells them was going to help them remember the truths of who he was. Deuteronomy 31. So write down the words of this what? Song. And teach it to them. Teach it to the people of Israel. Help them learn it so it may serve as a witness for me. Against them. Against when they turn their back on me. Those words will remind them and convict them because of the truth of who God is. Songs are powerful. Singing helps you remember. Why, when you were in school, did, they, did you learn a lot of things through song? I, I, I remember my kids were in elementary school. A friend of mine teaches in the elementary school. And if I would ever go to visit, I would always hear her singing all the way down the halls with her kindergarten class. Some of you know who she is. But she was very energetic. But her kids would remember a lot of things. One of my kids had her. My kids would come home too. They would talk about some dude on YouTube that turned history lessons and all kinds of stuff into song through popular songs. And those songs helped them remember the things that they were learning. Songs are powerful. You know good and well, when a song comes on from your childhood, you remember that song. If I say in West Philadelphia, born and raised, many of you can finish that lyric, Right? You, you, if I say, I got a friend, many of you can finish, sadly, <laughs> that lyric, <laughs> right? It, songs are powerful. 
They teach us things. And singing, when we worship God, it calls to mind the truths about who God is. David knew who God was. David had been through a lot in his life. In fact, the later years of his life, history tells us they got worse. More than they got better as far as the circumstances of his life. But rather than choosing to focus on the circumstances of what he was dealing with, he chose to fill his mind with the truth of who God was. And it's expressed in Psalm 145. David knew who God was. His worship was grounded in the acts of God and the faithfulness of God. David knew the grace and the mercy of God. David had committed adultery with a military friend's wife and then had that military guy killed on the front lines. David was passive in his life as a father when he needed to step up in the authority that he had. David had moments where he was a bad husband, he was a bad father, he was a bad leader. But he knew that despite all that, God's grace and God's mercy loved him regardless. And singing these psalms helped him remember the truth of who God was. We need to hold on to that. The more you express the love of the Father, the more you're reminded of the truth of who He is. Another thing that happens is the more you express your love towards the Father, and you, as you sing, you know what you're doing when you sing, especially in, in, in groups like this? You are encouraging one another. You're encouraging one another. As you praise God corporately, you build one another up individually. Paul wrote this twice in two different letters. Colossians, he wrote it this way. He said, let the message about Christ and all his richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Because he knows as you sing those, you're embedding that truth and you're encouraging one another. He wrote it again to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? And then sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and make music to the Lord in your hearts. And then give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because as you do that, you're encouraging one another and you're building one another up. Even science has found the research that shows that singing together lifts each other up. And you know what else it does? It brings you together closer and and, and makes a bond with each other. So not only does singing embed truth in your heart and your mind and your soul, not only are you encouraging one another when you sing through worship, but you're also growing in unity. You're growing, as you express the goodness of God, you're in, uniting yourselves on the truth of Christ together. And then another thing that you do, one more thing that you do, is that as you sing these songs, it engages you emotionally. And it transforms. That's why the medical world says it helps with your anxiety. It helps with your stress. It, it gives you energy and strength. Because God's created you that way. And he wants you to sing and he wants you to worship him. That's why David wrote Psalm 145 verse 14. Let's look back at this verse because it's such a powerful statement for, for so many of us today. The Lord helps the fallen. Lifts those bent beneath their loads. So just begin to express your worship to him. Because as you express the truth of God outwardly, you are affected inwardly by that. Through his worship, David 
remember the truth about who God was. He encouraged others. He united a nation. And he changed his emotions from being affected by the circumstances happening around him to being joyful in the presence of God. That was David's choice. What will our choice be? Will we choose to worship God and sing out our praises to God? Remember, the greatest act of God and of Jesus Christ is the cross. That is the greatest act. The cross shows you that God's love for you is immeasurable, like David talked about in Psalm 145. Jesus took insults on that cross. He was mocked on that cross. He was tortured on that cross. And on that cross, he prayed for others to be forgiven as he received that. And on that cross, he took the punishment for every person's sin. The cross will always, always, always show us that God takes the malicious, cruel acts of the world and he uses them for good. I was watching an interview a few weeks ago. The Fuller Institute did this interview. It started with an interview with Eugene Patterson, who's the man behind the message translation, and the front man of U2, Bono, a guy who loves to sing songs. Now, Bono, if you don't know this about him, he has always expressed his faith in God. He's always expressed his love for Jesus. Now, Bono, in his Irish nature, will oftentimes use language that I don't really like, but I remember in the interview with Eugene Patterson, they were asked about the cruelty of the world. And they're they're talking about the power of the Psalms in this interview. And they're asked about the cruelty of the world. And Patterson, Eugene Patterson says, or Peterson, am I saying it wrong? He says, he says, uh, he says, we have to learn to curse the cruelty of the world without cursing. And I remember Bono, who's taken, Eugene has become a mentor of his. He's looking at him intently and he says, I like that. I'm going to take that to heart. But the Fuller Institute, Bono wanted to express more about the power of the Psalms and about how his perspective on who Jesus was and what he's done for him changed his whole perspective in life. And I want you to hear this uh, one clip from one of those interviews with Bono. Watch this real quick. I became an artist through the portal of grief. My mother died at my, her own father's gravesite as he was being lowered into the ground in an aneurysm. I was 14. She left me, but she left me an artist. I began the journey, trying to fill the hole in my heart with music, with my mates, my bandmates. And finally, the only thing that can fill it is God's love. And it's a big hole, but luckily, there's a big love. It's like the wound never quite closes. So death is very important. But, you know, I went finally to Jerusalem on a family pilgrimage. And I went to Golgotha. And I went to uh, the site where, and I had some time on my own, where death died 
I was like, wow, there it is. That's where death died. And so I don't really believe in it anymore. So it's not a... It has no power over me as it had when I was 14 years old. And it and it's you know it's unpleasant for the people we leave behind or if we're left behind but it isn't unpleasant for the soul to now find its true meaning you know we look through the glass darkly but then we shall see face to face the cross always be our greatest reason for worship. To express a love to God who expressed his love for us. God created you to worship. He created you to worship. There's an instinct in you. You long to give your expression of love somewhere. But the only way your heart, your life is going to be fulfilled is if the greatest expression of that love is expressed to your Heavenly Father and your Creator. It's the only way it's going to be fulfilled. Again, you feel like you're forsaken, like God's not there, that he doesn't care. On that cross, Jesus reminded you, I do care. I relate to you. The same burden you're feeling, I felt. Jesus said, I felt it. But I did it so that I could draw you closer to the Father. every promise through the prophets through the law through the psalms every promise was fulfilled through Jesus and his cross and because that promise was fulfilled Father we know today that every promise that we have through your word for our life it will be fulfilled through you God we honor you our life and our life's expression of what we love that when people look at us they know the greatest thing we love more than anything else in this life is our Father in Heaven our Savior Jesus Christ who you are God we want to worship you in spirit and in truth genuine worshipers of our Father in every aspect of our life.
God, we also want to do what you have commanded us to do. And we want to sing out our praises to you. And we know as we sing these praises out to you, God, that your truth will be more and more embedded in us. And it's going to help us shape up in our spiritual life. It's going to encourage us. It's going to encourage each other. It's going to unite us in your body. And it's going to transform those emotions that want to bring us down. And it's going to transform them into joy, into peace, into comfort, strength. And we thank you for that today. So I just encourage you, church, as we close out in these last moments, just take some time through song to worship the Father. I know sometimes we don't want to sing because we don't want somebody around us to hear us sing. I turned my mic off. That's why I don't want you to hear me sing. But there's a power in taking the moment to express through song the goodness of God. That's why we do it. So I encourage you as you go this week, and maybe instead of listening to George Jones and Miley Cyrus or whoever you're listening to, Taylor Swift, whatever. T-Swizzle. Put worship on. Just listen to worship this week. Just let that be your, your proclamation as you drive, as you go everywhere. Sing songs of worship and let God transform your life. God bless you. Go be catalyst for transformation. Amen. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.